Blog and Grill. Hey, everybody, and welcome to AQ's Blog and Grill. We're very happy today on our podcast to have uh, Charlene Lee. Charlene Lee has just written a, a fabulous new book. It's The Disruption Mindset. And not all business books are that well written. Um, this one is. And uh, that's the review I, I just left on uh, Amazon today. Um, and I, I can highly recommend that uh, you put this, pick this book up and also start following um, Charlene because she is a, uh, she's a prolific writer and she has great insights that uh, we can all learn something from. And as we all know, uh, the faster we learn things today, the more competitive and advantaged that we are. So uh, welcome to you, Charlene. Thank you for having me. Great. I, I just want to cover for our listeners um, a, a quick introduction here. And it's from the uh, the back flap of uh, Charlene's book. Um, Charlene Lee is the founder uh, of and senior fellow at uh, Altimeter, a profit company, she is the author of five previous books. So if I get my mathematics right, you've now written six. That's wow. That's incredible. Um, including the New York Times bestseller, Open Leadership, which I can also highly recommend. She uh, also has co-authored the critically acclaimed uh, book, Groundswell. Uh, named one of the most creative people in business by Fast Company, Lee is an expert on digital transformation and disruptive growth strategies. She's a graduate of Harvard College and Harvard Business School, now living in uh, in San Francisco. And her cat, Cosmo, may uh, be making a guest appearance, a cameo appearance, if you will, here on the, on the blog uh, any moment. He's uh, currently locked up outside of the uh, – outside of uh, – Charlene's office. You know, Charlene, in, in the book, um, you mentioned, I think one of your chapter uh, titles is um, always begin with the uh, end in mind, which is, is so important. Uh, so I'm going to begin at the, at the end of your book in the uh, conclusion chapter. You, you, you mentioned a, a, an episode that's uh, taken place uh, at a, a Google uh, meeting at one of their conferences. And uh, towards the end of the discussion, the two founders are up on stage, Eric and Larry, and they're asked, what's the biggest threat to Google's continued success? Uh, Paige replied simply, Google. <laughs> uh, isn't that a strong statement? Is, 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 are you seeing that with other companies as well? Do they, do they sort of migrate to making themselves not so disruptive? I think um, every organization's biggest and, you know, barrier um, obstacle they have to overcome is themselves. And I'll give you an example. When I ask people, I'm like, okay, so you're going to grow like X percent next year, like 10% next year. Like, right. yeah, we're pretty comfortable with that. Yeah. So what would it take to double that? Yeah. What would it take to do 20%? And they go, oh, we would do things completely differently. We do this <laughs> and this. And they know exactly what they do. I'm like, so why don't you do it? Yeah. Oh, that would be really hard. That'd be disruptive. And they go on. I'm like, so it's basically there's no systemic, you know, industry reasons re to to not do this. They are standing in their own way. Right. And so what Larry Page said, Google is its biggest threat to itself. It, it stands to be proven true. Yeah, it, it certainly does. And it, it it's so great because in the book you also deal with the the concept of exponential versus incremental. 
and uh, how people just get stuck in that groove of that 10% or 8% or 12%. Um, are we ever going to get out of that? Do you see a, a major shift happening in uh, corporate culture, corporate uh, governance sort of thing? Well, I think it can, but only if it has one source of inspiration. And this is what I keep talking about over and over again. The one simple idea, the secret to disruption uh, is focusing on your future customers. Mm. Because if you focus on your future customers, they will hold you accountable. They will drive you towards them. You will not be able to resist, but to like, oh yeah, I want that opportunity. I want to serve them. I want to um, really capture that relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that is highly motivating. Yes. And, and you use a great example in the book. And, and once again, it's in, in the later stages of Southwest Airlines mm-hmm. and, and 48 years in existence, 46 of them profitable. Okay. So what is Southwest Airlines doing that's so great that that's putting them on this uh, flight path uh, almost every year to success? Right. Again, I sat down with the president uh, and Tom Nealon, and he said, you know, we have a dual past that we have, our strategy and our culture. And culture isn't an add-on. And this is something he stressed. Their strategy is to be the low-cost, the, 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 the best and largest, most loving uh, low-cost airline. And their culture is to support that to do everything possible to support that. So these are two parallel tracks. Culture is not something that's a second, second. Right. And, you know, the, the old saying is, and I think it comes from Peter Drucker, um, you know, culture will eat strategy for breakfast. Yeah. I I have a feeling that if culture and strategy got together for brunch, uh, that could be a pretty powerful combination. Yeah. (laughs) And this is, and I, I get it from people who, who say, like, you know, we don't have a great culture. We need to change our culture. I'm like, that's great. But what's your strategy? The culture needs strategy to eat. So if your strategy is kind of mushy and it's mm-hmm. status quo oriented, your culture is yeah. not going to change. Because what is it? Right. It's a changing too. Right. What's the purpose of that? Yeah. What's um, the motivation? Right. And, and there may be some beliefs and some behaviors that you really want to really change in your culture. Like, I don't like the way we do this. Great. But what are you going to change it to? So what will you do instead? Unless you have, instead of doing this, do that, nothing's going to change. Right. And you don't have a strategy like focusing on your future customers and chase after them as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. That is your roadmap. Culture is the engine that determines how fast you can go down that road. Yeah. Do you think in, in terms of, of organizational structure, that an org chart is kind of like a pyramid or a triangle and they bury people in those things, their tombs. And yet a newer structure, which you look at in terms of behavior and beliefs is, is round. It, it's circular. And so how is the difference between those two shapes, the, the triangle and the circle going to help people be disrupted? Well, here's a simple way to think about that. A triangle says, especially with these paths, that there's only one path up and down. A circle says you can network across all the different areas and create nodes in many different places. And the mm-hmm. shortest distance between two people with information and the ability to make it act, take an action on that is a straight line. Yeah. So we we uh, hierarchies are really good. Silos and departments are really good because they make sure that 
the processes and the communications and the decisions are, are, are organized in a very systematic way for excellence and consistency. But they're not very good in terms of dealing with flexibility where you have to move between departments. Right. So how do you get the best of both worlds? Right. And, and be able to put that into your organization and process. Yeah. Now that takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? And this whole thing takes a lot of courage because yeah. the whole idea of disruption says, I'm going from here to there and, and I really don't know what the outcome is. And I think courage says, even despite all the hardships that we're going to have on, given the unknowns, we're going to still go off on that track. Right. Uh, and I'm going to um, have, have the courage to face those obstacles and those adversities. Right. So you've actually formed, I think you believe that, that, that to be a disruptor, you have to be a member of a movement, that it's not just about you on your own, uh, and it may not just be you and your colleagues in a particular organization. So you've put together a, a movement, which, uh, which sounds really exciting. Is it quantum.com? Is that? Uh... Yeah, it's called quantum-networks.com. Oh, and so t tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's just literally starting out. Um, so trying, it's it's not pretty or anything, but the idea is that we need more disruptive leaders because there are so many problems in this world that need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. So how do you be the best disruptive leader possible? Because chances are you're the only person in the organization that sees this opportunity, right. and it can be exhausting. Sure. So I wanted to connect these disruptors together and support yeah. them. And, and can we join now, Charlene? Is this yeah. something, even though it's not pretty, it's up and running? Yes, it is up and running. I'm in, literally in the middle of moving a platform over from one place to the next because the okay. platform we're on just did not work uh, despite <laughs> our efforts. So, um, but yeah, it's, it is up and running and um, we welcome people to come and join it. It is free to join right now. We're still trying to figure it out. I'm, and I'm asking people to come in, join it, and we'll okay. figure out how to build it, what makes yeah. sense, what content needs to be there. Yeah. Have a bunch of ideas about how to connect people in small groups and circles of yeah. eight to ten people, um, but also to have some in-person events too, as well, so that we can connect and face to face and have a shared experience. Isn't that's that how great? Connections and relationships are boring. Yeah. Because as powerful as your book is, and as and, and as well presented as your ideas are, we still need to have other people uh, believe that it's uh, possible. Uh, to make those changes. And of course, we're not talking just about corporations. We're not talking about companies or brands. I mean, this this could change government. This could change, uh, well, not-for-profits or, you know. Yeah. I, I, th I think anytime you have an organization that's trying to achieve something, and that could be an association, it could be a membership, it could be a church, it could be a neighborhood community, um, it could be larger societal issues. Yeah. Well, like, oh, let's, let's take it on climate change, right? We we need disruptive leaders who are confident about their ability to make things for the better. Sure. And uh, realize that if they're going to do this, it is going to be disruptive. You're not going to get there by by being just nice and accepting and not making any waves. <laughs> you have to kind of be a shift disturber. Um, yeah. I said shift, by the way, to my more conservative uh, listeners, um, because shift isn't going to happen unless people start doing it. Like it's right. a behavior thing, not just a belief, which, you know, earlier in the book, you, you talk about uh, flux and stuck. Um and stuck is kind of the way we've done things in the past. Mm -hmm. And flux is more about how are we going to 
shape something or how are we going to create something? Is that fairly accurate? Yes. And I think what happens in stuck organizations is that, you know, this has worked for the past 20 years. It's a formula that has proven itself year after year, decade after decade. We're not going to change that. Yeah. Right? That's pretty stuck. And that may be pretty smart, but it's assuming that what's worked in the past will work in the future. Flux thinking says it, it may have worked in the past, but I'm paranoid that it won't work in the future. So I'm going to keep looking just in case. Yeah. It doesn't work. Right. Yeah. And, and, and then how many organizations have the courage or the determination to adopt flux thinking? Are they being pushed by their shareholders, their stakeholders, or? No, I, unfortunately, I don't think shareholders, stakeholders, executives, and those people are, are really keeping on top of it. And this is where I think it's so important again. If you have an organization that's really focused on your future customers, your future customers are going to demand this of you. Uh-huh. If you are truly oriented to them, you won't be able to help them. But like, we're not serving them well because we're standing in the way. We're not meeting their needs. If yeah. you truly listen to them. And I, I'll give an example. Some a, a lot of organizations will put together what I call customer advisory boards. Yes. And they put their best and biggest members on there. So guess what? They continue to do everything possible to make those existing customers super happy. In the meantime, all these new customers that could be pulled in, they're not listening to them. They're not yeah. even focused on them. So I think your customer advisory board should be filled with the representations of all your future customers. Yeah. It would tell you all the things that you have are doing wrong, <laughs> that you should be doing better. Why aren't you doing this for us? And demanding right. things from you. And it's pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. And so um, if you don't do it, perhaps your competition will. Right. Or perhaps somebody you've never considered to be competition before, Airbnb, Uber, um, some of these other like, – who could have expected? Marriott did not have a strategic planning session in one of their hotels and put down threats, um, you know, organizations we've never heard of before. Yeah. And <laughs> they should have. I guarantee you they're all thinking about this. And and, and as soon as Airbnb um, came on the scene, of course, all the hospitality places put that into their strategy planning. They absolutely yeah. did. Um, and and they, they made quite a few moves to tamper that. But again, they're they're structurally different. So, yes. Yeah. They. Um, but I. But I think more than anything else, um, there is this idea that if you aren't even looking, if you're putting your head in the sand and aren't even looking, right, yeah. then you're going to be in really big trouble. Right. What I find from most organizations now is they they all know that disruption threats, new entrants, competitive issues um, are all on the horizon. They, so they don't say anymore, can I just not disrupt for a couple of years? Can uh-huh. I just make do? Can, will disruption pass me by? Uh, and I can't think of a single industry that isn't facing disruption. And I'll, I'll give you an example that's not in the book. Sure. I, I talked to a CEO of a sand company, S-A-N-D. <laughs> sand, okay. Sand. And he said, you should see, you should come and visit. Our company, our industry is being disrupted so much. I'm like, you're in sand. How can it be disrupted? (laughs) And can you realize that sand is the basic component of glass? 
And they always sold to maybe five or so distributors, and those mm-hmm. were their customers. But the end customers of ten thousand manufacturers who use the components of sand to make right. elements like glass. Yeah, they never had a conversation with, and they always relied on distributors. And now they're having to rework everything and have direct connections with their end buyers. Mm-hmm. That's where they were feeling the disruption and having yeah. to change everything. And and so. You have to be looking for this and saying, right. how are my customers changing? How do I need to be on top of them? And that will guide your disruption strategy. Yeah. So that anticipation uh, has to be woven into every day. It has to become part of your oxygen, I guess, to you know, what could happen? What could we do, as you've said, for our future customers um, and keep our present customers happy, but right. knowing that it's that's not going to be good enough next year hmm sand wow yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> who knew you would not have thunk that right um, no. but I, I use this as an example i'm like and i and i imagine most people have businesses uh and organizations that are a little bit more complex than sand hmm. and so do not do not take for granted the fact that your customers are going to be the same in the future right you don't dare yeah and your customers are expecting that you know them and know how their changes how their needs are changing. Yeah. So that that uh, one of the key verbs then uh, in the future for success is going to be all connected to the L word, which is uh, learning. Um, you're going to have to listen uh, to your customers. M- most of my clients over the years have said, well, we got to go out and talk to the clients. And I've said, wrong verb. Like, go out and listen to them. Ask them questions. Uh, uh, what would they like to see changed? And Because uh, you'll be one of the only companies that will do that. So yeah. learning is, is, is so key. Charlene, um, the chapter uh, flux culture operating system, where you've got this great diagram, I love diagram, the culture operating model. I'm a very simple person. Pictures are good for me. And you talk about the, this, this operating model in the middle is the beliefs and the behaviors, which are so important because Behaviors are going to be key, not just the beliefs. And then you talk about structure, process, and lore, the soul. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? What is the lore about in organizations of the future? Yeah, again, lore are are all the things you don't necessarily see on paper, Mm. right? So organizations and processes, you can map it out. You can put it into a policy book. You can create a picture around that. And, And what happens with lore is these are things that spread, throughout an organization. Okay. They're designed to spread. And there are the, the, the stories we tell each other, the symbols that mean so much more than just that simple picture. And then right. the rituals that reinforce what our relationships are going to be with each other. Right. The rituals are incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Like what are the rituals you do to reinforce what our values are, what we stand for, how customers are the, the focus of what you're trying to do. Right. You know, what are the um, the uh, symbols? The, so, one of my the, one of my favorite examples I have in the book is OXO. O X O. Yes. They make um, the kitchen appliances and household household tools like can openers. Right. Yeah. And when you walk into the New York offices, there's a beautiful wall covered with gloves. And they're a representation of the many different types of hands that you make the products for. Okay. Young hands, big hands, little hands, arthritic hands. Mm -hmm. It's a reminder that you are here to serve those customers who 
right. tools will fit into their hands. Yeah, so very that's connected to the whole ergonomic um, approach is starting with the customer's hands. Yeah. Neat. Good, good. And you also mentioned in the book about going into the um, Southwest Air offices and there's pictures all over the place taken in their planes or in the airport or in the lounges. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, there was, it, it, and actually it's kind of funny. They they started putting up pictures of their customers and, and of the employees on the walls mm-hmm. because they had no other money and the walls were really <laughs> empty. So they said, like, what can we do? Like, oh, just look at one of the pictures we have of people from the company. Yeah. Right? And so they've kept that up. So anytime there's like a celebration, they, they, they take pictures and put it up on the wall. Isn't they that have something? Uh, Halloween is a very big ritual at Southwest Airlines because it's all about being fun. Yeah. And so Halloween's a really big deal. And this is one part of the office that just has rooms and stencils all with themes around all the different Halloweens. Right. It's, it's, and they have costumes from some of the things that executives had done. Uh, and, and it starts from the very top. Wow. And do you think Curb uh, was just one of the, the big drivers of that? Because he seemed like such a fun guy. Well, Herb Kelleher is just one of a kind. And he would just walk around the office with a cigar, unlit cigar, clumped in his ha- in his mouth. And just like just poking his head and saying hi to people. Yeah. So when he passed away last October, it was, it was gut-wrenching. I was there about a month afterwards, and we walked by this um, room that recognizes him and now memorializes him. And the person I was with just started choking up. Uh-huh. He, goes, he goes, it's so hard to imagine that he's not going to come bombing around that corner and talk to me about something. Right. Yeah. He's not here anymore. And, you know, some of the CEOs and, and the general managers and leaders that you may converse with will say, well, I don't have time to do that. Uh, yes, you do. You know, it's important for you as the organizational leader not to be the boss, but to, you know, stimulate. Yeah, I recently sat down with a group of CEOs. I'm in a group called YPO, and I sat down with some other YPOers. We were talking Mm -hmm. about um, culture and how their cultures were set up or not to to, uh, be living with disruption. And almost to a person, they all kind of threw their hands up, oh, my culture is such a mess. And, And like, I wish you could change it. I'm like, wait a minute, you're the CEO. So if you said, I wish we could change it, who are you thinking is going to change it if yeah. not yeah. you? Yeah. And they all kind of look like, yeah, that's a good point. How do we do it? And if you break it down to beliefs and behaviors, that's what it is. Yeah. What are the beliefs that are holding you back and be placing with beliefs that are going to hold you forward, move you forward? What are the behaviors that were represented by those beliefs? And yeah. how do you identify them and say, we're not going to do those things anymore. Right. We're not going to say these things to ourselves. Instead, we're going to do and say these things yeah. and then cement them with that operating system, that cultural operating system, yeah. like really ingrained and hardwired into your organization. Yeah. So I, I've, I've noticed your your activity and your commitment to YPO, and I think uh, it's, it really has to start there, uh, even before um, – the, the CEOs become uh, or presidents become inculcated to, now I, my job is this. And, you know, I go, my job is to deliver on the bottom line. And they don't think or feel that it's in that important. Oh, well, that's soft stuff. I'll hire someone to do that. Not anymore. No, 
um, I mean, YPO would be the first group to say, no, leadership is a very holistic. To be an extraordinary leader, you have to do all of these things. Yeah. You have certain strengths, but you can't say that's not important. Right. You can say, I'm not very good at that. And because of that, I'm going to make sure there's somebody really good driving that. Yeah. You're much better than I ever could. But yeah. to say it's not important, I think is a big, I, I think again, I, I see, especially here in Silicon Valley, it's all about the product market fit and um, how do I get that market MVP out there and everything. Uh -huh. I'm like, That's great. What are you doing back with the culture of your organization? Think, yeah. well, it just works it out, works out. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't work itself out. <laughs> Not the right way. No. Yeah. So unless you're intentional about yeah. creating a culture that will drive your strategy. Yeah. Strategy is a roadmap, but the culture is the engine that determines how fast you will be able to ex to go down that road. There you go. Well, I mean, in in part of your um, talks or part of your explanation on the the stuck versus flux, uh, the stuck organization will say, "Well, that's the way we've always done it," um, and then the flux organization they say something different. Uh, there's got to be a better way. Yeah. And, it's, and, it's, and they say, and I think what happens is that it's great that whatever worked for the past 30 years has worked. That's great. But the flux um, people say, you know, I, I, I love that it works, but I'm paranoid that it's not going to. Uh -huh. Right. And so this is not about saying the old stuff isn't valid. It just says it's worked really well. But what happens if it doesn't work anymore? How yeah. are we going to be prepared? Yeah. And the only way you can do that is to have a really clear idea of who those future customers are. Yeah, future well, customers. I just keep coming back to that. I saw yeah. like a broken record. No, no. It's how can you think about uh, a strategy three or five years down the line if you don't know who, you, if you don't have a good idea who those future customers will look like? Yeah. They may or may not be the, the customers that you have today. Right. Yeah. That whole thing could have shifted, and you have to be ready. And have the and the culture's got to be ready to shift towards that and go ha ha ha, and boom, uh, there you go. So, concise advice for someone who wants to be a disruptor inside an organization, or someone who's starting an organization and wants it to be a disruptive force. What what kind of advice can we give them or counsel? I'm going to say it back again. Do you know who your future, ask these three questions. Yep. Do you know your future customer? Do you really have a good idea what that future customer looks like? Um, and, and, and an idea of like how that's going to evolve, right? right? The second thing is, okay, great. If you know that question, if you've answered that question, the second part is, does everyone else in your organization know who that future customer is? Right. So that they're pulling in the same direction you're aligned against that. And it's really important because if somebody at the front lines happens to come across a future customer, they should be sending out the alarm saying, everybody, yeah. come over here, look, I got one, I got one here. Yeah. It's, it's a customer, it's a customer right here, like, just look. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing is if everybody knows it, then do you have a really good idea of what you need to do today as an organization mm -hmm. to be able to get to that place right. in the future? Do you know how you're going to close that gap between today and in the future? Yeah. If you can answer those three things, you're in great shape. That's yeah. how you create a disruptive organization. Good. So, Charlene, where are people going to buy this book? Because it's fabulous. I, I got mine on Amazon. I got three of them on Amazon. What are the other alternatives? 
Um, I, I, I actually bought one in Kindle too for traveling. <laughs> but so where can I go to pick up this book and, and to learn more about the disruptive mindset? Um, I've got it in international distribution. So any place where books are sold online, you can probably yeah. find it. Yeah. If not, by all means, email me. Um, I'm working on international editions too as well. And it's yeah. right now it's hardcover, uh, Kindle ebook, and then also an audiobook. Okay. Um, and you can go to my website, charlinglee.com uh, slash disruption mindset. There's a list of all the retailers. There's lots more resources there too as well. There are some great resources. I checked it out. Yeah. An assessment. Uh, so there's a, there's hopefully a lot of resources to get you going along that way. Yeah. You know, for our listeners and our subscribers, what Charlene just said was there's a workbook on the, on the site. Is that correct? That's right. Can you believe that? I mean, this is a tremendously generous, um, thing that, that Charlene is doing because it's not just about buying the book. I think she wants to, you to buy into the movement. I think she's, uh, really got something going here. And uh, yeah, let me just touch on that. You know, yeah. my whole purpose in writing the book wasn't to sell more books. I mean, if I was really smart, I would come onto this podcast and not tell about the stories because it's pretty easy to not buy the book after listening to a podcast. <laughs> but, um, but, and so my, my author friends is like, you shouldn't be doing so many podcasts. And I go, this is not about selling books. Right. This is about creating a movement of disruptive yeah. leaders who are going to go out and create change. Yeah. In your organizations, in your uh, communities, and, and, and frankly, in society, because we yeah. need more leaders. We need leaders who will think disruptively and will go out and create exponential change. Yeah. I'm with you. I want to join the movement. <laughs> Great. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much to Charlene Lee today. Um, we're going to, this podcast will be running uh, as of January. Thank Thanks you for, for having me. Yeah. Thank you. AQ's Blog and Grill.